Um, I do have one thing before we get started. Uh, uh, change their view, CTV, we keep talking about it. It's coming up August 8th, 9th, and 10th. And if you don't have kids and you're not volunteering, you think, oh, there's really nothing that I can be a part of that with. Guys, on, on August 10th, which is the last night of this thing, 6 to 9 p.m., what we've done on that night is we've invited all of our neighbors in the neighborhood here. We invited all the teachers from Delta High School over here. We've given them free uh, barbecue tickets to show up. And if you're not doing anything with any of that, I would encourage you to show up on August 10th just to hang out. And get to meet our neighbors in our neighborhood if anyone shows up. We don't know. But you know, if they do, you get to meet neighbors in the neighborhood, some teachers at Delta Cross Street, which we're really trying to help out a lot of that school next year. So if you want to meet some of them, come too. Really, if, just write it on your calendar, right? August 10th, Friday night, 6 o'clock, drive down to Element and hang out with people in the neighborhood. Because if nothing else, that would be a great way to meet the people around here. And I mean, if you're really weird, great. Even more so. I'm sure our neighbors are weird too. So you just all hang out and be weird together. be awesome. Okay, all right. I can. So, welcome to Element. If you are new, if you love motorcycles, no. uh, if you are new, welcome to Element. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you get some notes that go deeper into what we're talking about, as well as some questions to go deeper into what we're talking about. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events and Uversion. We'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermons, uh, sermon notes. Verses, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4. And it says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who trust you in all of our life circumstances. Uh, whether we have a lot or whether we have very little, that we would trust you in that and live in ways that bring you glory by living in generosity by what you have given into our hands no matter what time we find ourselves in. So teach us to live out your glory in our lives as you bestow on us the great joy that you provide. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series right now uh, called Proverbs. It's a term I made up. No, it's a, it's a book in the Old Testament of the Bible, and so we're calling this series Counter Culture, because if we live in the wisdom that the book of Proverbs actually provides for it, we'll be living a countercultural ideal. Uh, not where we're protesting and holding signs, but we're living out in grace and truth and, and mercy and the hope that God provides. Now today, we're going to get to everyone's favorite subject to talk about in church, and that is money and giving. Yeah, I know. You're so excited, so excited. And what's interesting about this is the whole giving platform with that changing, uh, we had no idea it was going to end up kind of taking place the weeks we were talking about money, but it just did, so... Hey, there you go. Uh, Donald did a great job last week talking about pride. I thought it was excellent, and this week... It, is going to go kind of a little different direction. It's not going to be as good as last week, but we're going to kind of go a different direction and go with this. See, see how this goes. So money and giving. I know it's two subjects, but it's really just money and they go together. Uh, I hope today isn't too painful. I hope it's eye-opening for you. If you are a first-time visitor to, El- visitor to Element, <laughs> you chose the funniest of all possible Sundays to show up. So there we go. Um, 
The truth is, in the scriptures, uh, 10% of all the scriptures, 25% of Jesus' words deal with money in one way or another. I think many times my messages about money and giving and all of those things and stewardship aren't that often. So sometimes I feel the need to apologize to you because I don't really talk about it as much as the scriptures do. And before we get to Proverbs or really talk about money or giving at all, we need to talk about Jesus because he's always first. If we don't have a foundational understanding of who Jesus is, what God has done in our lives, and nothing I say today is going to make sense whatsoever. I think a lot of churches who have unhealthy practices, and sometimes that can be element as well, it all starts in a place of misunderstanding who God is and how he works in our lives and in the world around us. So the number one thing, you need to write this in your notes, the number one thing about God is that there is one and you are not him. Okay? Number one thing, God is wholly someone else. God spoke everything into existence. Therefore, in the broadest sense, the most macro lens possible, everything belongs to God and was made for his glory. That means everything was meant to reflect God's glory and be used for its his purposes. In creation, there's supposed to be this harmony in how everything comes together in purpose and love that centers on the person of Jesus. Now, early in the scriptures, God creates human beings, and he gives human beings lots of gifts. And what he says is, use these gifts in a way that honor me. And what people do is they do the exact opposite of what God said, and they use all of those gifts incorrectly. You really have this choice. You can honor God with what he's given you or not. And the choice that was made by our first parents and everybody ever since then was that we're not really going to honor God with what he has given us. That means we chose poorly. If you've ever seen Indiana Jones and they picked the wrong cup, you chose poorly. Yeah, we all choose poorly. Now, this in the scriptures is called sin. Uh, sin is lots of things. It's missing the mark. But one of the main things it is, is it's rebelling against the world in the way that God set it up. We want the world to go a different direction than how God made things to be. And in that rebellion, we rebel against God and we essentially become enemies of God. And our sin stinks, and the stench of it metaphorically and literally, we're told in the scriptures, reaches to heaven. Uh, sin in the Bible oftentimes is written about in economic terminology. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So we have this rebellion against God, and we're earning a wage, and God has every right to pay us the wage of death for it if he felt like it. And in truth, on our own, we have no right to look to God and cry out for mercy or forgiveness or a changed heart or redeemed life, because we mostly live blind to the truth that God provides. Now, how do I know this? Because there are certain things in the scriptures that are clearly lit, written in black and white, and we totally rebel against them. That's not really what God meant. Well, it says ABC. We're like, oh, but God meant AZX. It didn't really mean ABC. Like, we always want to argue with what's right there in the scripture. And I think part of the reason of that is that humanity, because of our rebellion, has placed a curse upon ourselves. And we have now lived so long under this curse that we try to convince ourselves it's just normal. But it's not normal. And so what God has done is he has involved himself in in our condition. All the way back in Genesis 3, God makes a promise. He will involve himself in our situation. He will save us. He will rescue us. And that is his mercy and grace. And if I did to you what we have done to God, you wouldn't have no mercy for me whatsoever. What do we do? We rob God of his glory. Everything he gives us, we use for the opposite purpose of what he gave it to us for. Uh, our monies, our bodies. We, we participate in things that dishonor him all of the time. And yet God in his mercy promised he would find us. That we are the ones who are lost, not God. We don't find God. God finds us and rescues us. He comes for us. This is the great hope of the gospel, the good news, that God came to rescue us. He became one of us in the person of Jesus. And when Jesus dies, he allows himself to die instead of us. 
He lets us live instead of him. And I think I'm a total oddball today in how a lot of this stuff works out. Because the fact that people die, that there is this place that's called hell, it all makes sense to me. But that people get forgiven and they get grace and love, return to relationship with God, it makes no logical sense whatsoever. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This is why we call this thing grace. We are people who get gifts from God that we do not deserve because he is the one who is so good. He extends himself to us to rescue and redeem us. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the, and this is monetary language, gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. What did we do to get God's grace? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing, nothing. Jesus had to die because of our sin, but he loved us, and he forgave us, and he gave us life. Paul tells us, more monetary language, 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought with a price. So when Jesus dies for me, I was once a slave to sin and to death, but now I belong to God. God transforms all of us with his love and his grace to belong to him. And either we rely on ourselves or we trust Jesus. There's not a third option. We try and come up with third options all the time, but there really isn't one. The heart of Christianity is simply belonging to Jesus. That's it. And in the end, that means that our time becomes Jesus' time. And our days become Jesus' day. And our body becomes Jesus' body. And our money becomes Jesus' money. And before we had all these things in our lives that used to dishonor who he was, but now they can be redeemed. And they can be used for what they were eventually created for. They're at his disposal, or at least least they should be. We can live lives that simply honor him. Now, some people, when they read the Bible and they see how God says that he owns everything, and they think, well, that's just awful. God thinks he owns everything. Well, there's a reason for that, and that is God owns everything, okay? So when God gets glory, people actually find and live in joy. It's amazing how it works. I will tell you, you will never be as happy as when God gets his glory and you participate with him in the work of the good news of the gospel. That's my foundation for where we have to start today in talking about money. The gospel has untold power within it, and I think we will never live in it and taste it until we actually believe what God is doing in us and in the world around us, which means we, in the end, have to want God to actually rule over us instead of trying to always do it ourselves. We must believe our condition has been as severe as it is and that God came and died and conquered our enemies and has given us life, all by his grace. What do we do as a people once we receive this grace we understand what God has done as a result of the gospel? Ephesians 2.10, after 2.8.9, it goes on and it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What that means is we do good. It's not that we're saved by our good works, but God made us as a people, as a redeemed people, to actually now live out and do good things. And we do all these things for the purpose of glorifying him. Now, how does that work out in regard to money? I'm so glad you asked me because I got a whole sermon about that. So open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30. Interesting thing, when I was a kid, I used to buy my mom a Christmas present. Uh, you know, I'm three, four, five, six years old. Do three, four, five, or six-year-olds have jobs? No, if they do, it's called child labor and it's illegal, right? They also don't have the best taste in Christmas presents. But I would go and I'd buy my mom a Christmas present. Now, whose money did I use to buy her that Christmas present? Hers, exactly, to buy her this ugly thing that she probably threw away and never wanted. But I thought, hey, I bought you this thing with your money. That's our lives. Everything we give to God, it was his in the first place. We have no right to stick our hand in God's drawer and say, look at all this stuff I own. It's all God's. So this is why Proverbs says things like this. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What it's saying is it's good to be in the middle class. No, I'm kidding. That's not what it's saying. (laughs) What it's saying is sometimes when we get too comfortable, we will do everything we can to seek our own comfort, to keep our comfort where it is. And so we deny God. Sometimes when we're in pain, we'll do everything we can just to alleviate the pain and we will deny God. What it's telling us is the answer to everything in our life is to trust God for everything, no matter where we find ourselves at any given moment. But many times we don't want to do that. We want to trust ourselves. We think we can get ourselves out of this mess. Guys, we got ourselves into the mess. God had to come and die and rise to rescue and save us, so we trust him. And so what the Bible teaches is that rich and poor doesn't matter. It is righteousness versus unrighteousness. Proverbs 22 verse 2 says, The rich and the poor meet together. That's a nice Hebrew way of saying you're all the same, no matter how much money you have. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now, today in the American church, we have these two polar opposite extremes, what people like to talk about. You have on one side what's called prosperity theology. And they say, it's better to be rich. God wants to give you everything that you want. Jesus, when he said he had no place to lay his head, well, that's because he wasn't home where his mansion was. If you have enough faith, then God will give you everything and you're going to be rich. It's better to be rich. God blesses the rich people. It's prosperity theology. On the other side, there's this whole opposite extreme. And they say, no, no, poverty theology. Poverty is better. You don't have anything. Live in a box. Give everything away. That's poverty theology. Now, what is more popular typically at a church like Element? Poverty theology. Why? Because we're poor, right? (laughs) Like, oh, we like that poverty theology. Jesus loves the poor people. That's me. If you look in Proverbs, you know which one is more popular? Neither. Neither. Because it's an issue of righteousness versus unrighteousness. God makes rich and poor, which means the issue becomes one of holiness. How we will live for him, how we will honor him, no matter the situation we find ourselves in our lives at any given moment. I grew up poor. Uh, There were, I mean, we always had food on the table, but sometimes it was a stretch. And sometimes it wasn't the greatest food. And I still hate pot roast because I eat it like all the time. Anyway, um, it, it's, it's an issue I have, I know. Uh, but, but there are times like at Christmas, I, I would get uh, pants, jeans wrapped up as my Christmas present because I couldn't get toys because I couldn't afford them and I needed pants. So my mom would just buy pants and wrap them up and say, here's your Christmas present. And, and that was it. And when I, was, I was a snot when I was a kid. But now I look back and it, and it breaks my heart to see what my mom went through to actually provide for us. And it's this whole idea, how are we going to live out what God gives us. So uh, this is broken out in the Bible in different ways. And I'm going to give you the four different categories that it shows. Uh, the first one is called the unrighteous poor. And there's lots more verses than I'm going to give you today, but I'm just going to kind of show you what this looks like in a micro-condensed version. Uh, the unrighteous poor are people who are in need because of consequences of sin, not circumstance. Proverbs 10, verse 4, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Again, these are principles, not promises. Sometimes you can be very diligent in your work and still not get to a place where you are wealthy. And so again, they are principles. Proverbs 13, verse 4, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of of the diligent is richly supplied supplied it simply says that some people are unambitious and they will end up poor because they don't really ever want to do anything proverbs 14 23 and all toil that's the word for work there is profit but mere talk tends only to poverty it tends only to poverty uh, you ever be around somebody at a job and they just talk incessantly they will not stop it's like yeah 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 it's like, it sounds like charlie brown's parents walk 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 you're like my goodness i gotta i gotta work here oh no 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 and they're like i'm gonna work at my desk I'm like, i'll just follow your desk what do you do it's like go to work you know anybody like if you don't know anybody like that you're probably that guy <laughs> go to work okay leave everybody else alone 
Sometimes people talk, and then other people who, who do their job, they will typically get a raise. They'll get a promotion. And you sit there, why don't I get a raise? Why don't I get a promotion? Hey, everybody, why don't I get a raise? Why don't I get, you know, and it's like, because you're talking all the time. Proverbs, it's very, very practical. I'm just saying, okay? Uh, uh, this is Proverbs 28, verse 19 out of the NIV. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. This is speaking to people who don't really live in reality. You ever meet somebody who's always talking about what they're going to do tomorrow? Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to have this. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to do that. And 20 years later, it's the same exact story. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And they don't have anything. And they're bitter. And they're angry at God. Why isn't God giving me anything? And just keep, keep talking and talking. They never do. That's what it's talking about. That's unrighteous. That's unrighteous. We don't just keep talking. We actually go out and live in a way that brings honor to God by how we actually work. Next thing is the righteous poor. Uh, the righteous poor are people who are in need and are suffering because of their unwillingness to sin. Throughout the course of my life, I have known some people who have gotten hurt on the job and they're struggling because they got fired because they refuse to lie to insurance adjusters. That is godly. That is godly. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble uh, with trouble in it. Wait, and trouble with it. I can't even read. Whatever. Learn how to read. Great treasure with trouble with it. This refers to someone who knows how to make a lot of money, but they realize in a certain way that they do this, it could be ungodly, so they they decide not to do it. Proverbs 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Proverbs 28, verse 6. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Again, this is poor versus wicked. Poor versus wicked. Do we live in ways that honor God even when we don't have a whole lot? Sometimes people look at Jesus and they oh, I want to be like Jesus. He wore a robe, probably never took a bath, didn't wash his hair. Oh, I want to be all like Jesus. That's not, Jesus worked hard and well. He was a blue collar worker for 30 years of his life. He is a stonemason or a carpenter. They're interchangeable terms. So the dude worked hard and worked. And even as a rabbi going out and teaching, he walked everywhere, loved people. He was in hungry a lot. They didn't have a place to lay his head. He worked hard. He worked well. He was righteous poor. And then there are the unrighteous rich. Now, what I think is funny about the unrighteous rich is if you listen to any music anywhere, some some rock star somewhere is always going to complain about the unrighteous rich. Oh, they're so terrible. You know who unrighteous rich people are? The rock stars. That's who's unrighteous because they're terrible. They do terrible things. Not that I judge. Um, Proverbs 10, verse 2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, a lot of people want to find out if that's true. Give me a lot of treasures, and I'll find out if it profits me or not. No, what it's telling you is that in the end, all ill-gotten gain is going to destroy you. Proverbs 28, verse 25. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Proverbs 23, verse 4, the one we started with, do not toil to acquire wealth, be discerning enough to desist. It's not telling you not to work. What it's saying is, is don't spend all of your time trying to get stuff or you will lose what really matters. Uh, here's one for the unrighteous rich. Proverbs 20, 28, verse 8, whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. I know it sounds odd, but it's the mind is that eventually God will bring about justice. Now, uh, people were not supposed to, in the scriptures, charge exorbitant interest to other people. Today, we use a term called usury, and that's what that means, Uh, especially to the poor, because the poor people are the ones who got caught in that cycle. Today, there are check loan cashing places, and if you extrapolate the interest out for the couple days that you get the loan ahead of time, it ends up being almost something like 200% a year. That is ungodly, okay? It is ungodly. If you do it, Wait a couple days. Stop doing it. It's, it's horrible. The Torah says that eventually those people will come to ruin. It doesn't say how long. 
But it says eventually it will come. And then what you have after that is the righteous rich. And I will tell you, yes, they actually exist. And these are people who have plenty because of God's blessing on their life, but also that they give it away. They live in obedience. Uh, Job, somebody like that in the Old Testament. Proverbs 15, verse 6, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. Uh, when I read this, it reminds me of a bad episode of Cops. Like somebody wins the lottery and all their you know, neighbors go crazy and their relatives all go crazy. If you haven't, you should really Google what happens when people win the lottery and what happens to them. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's sad. I'll give you a story next week, not this week, but we're going to do part two of this next week. Uh, the righteous rich are people who can actually handle money in a way where they give it away and are generous, which is not very common. I mean, we all think that if we had more money, oh, I'd be more generous. Statistically speaking, it's not actually true. Barna research actually shows that the more money a person makes, the less likely they are to give. Percentage-wise, the less you make, the more you actually give. People, again, always think, if I just had more money, it'd be so much easier to give. We all think that, but that's not actually true. Think of it like this. If you mowed somebody's lawn for a month and you got 50 bucks, or you work at McDonald's making the fries, right, and you get 50 bucks, given, like, say, I'm going to give to God, okay, 10%, boom, 5 bucks. 5 bucks is easy to give when you got 50 bucks. But imagine you own the company of landscaping, and you have other employees, and you make $5,000, or you're now the manager of that poor kid making the fries, right, and you make $5,000. Giving 500 bucks then is a lot more difficult than giving 5 bucks. Imagine you make $50,000. Giving 5000 is a lot harder than giving 5 bucks because it gets harder as you make more. Luke 16.10, Jesus reminds us, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. What happens? As you start to make more money, you will look around and certain things will catch your interest and they'll draw your attention away from God and you start to think, oh, I need a better car. I need a better house. I need a better vacation. And I'm not saying you don't need those things. I mean, you may be grumpy and you need a vacation. You might need to take a vacation. You may be driving around in a car with a that's all busted up and you're just smelling carbon monoxide all day. You're going to pass out and kill somebody. Get a different car, okay? It's, it's okay. Let's say you shouldn't get one. But typically, as our desires get bigger, it's harder and harder to get. Uh, my wife and I, uh, for the, probably the first six years we were married, I, we didn't give much at all. And then one day God got a hold of my heart. And I'll tell you, the first of every month we give off the top. And it is not always easy to do. I can always think of a million other things I'd rather spend money on. But then I'm like, no, it's really God's. It's not mine. And so I start there. I don't do it at the end of the month when there's nothing left over to give to God. I do it at the first where everything comes in. Proverbs 11.24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Again, this, this is a principle, not, not a promise. But studies today are now showing that the wealthiest CEOs are also the most generous. Generous people who are righteous learn how to give stuff away. Eventually, when the Israelites fail to give back to God, God says, you are robbing me. I don't think that we can be a people who steal from God forever and expect him to always pick up the tab when we fall short. Again, not a salvation issue, okay? This is an issue of how we live out the good things that God has actually given us. And I believe sometimes God will bring consequences into our lives to teach us how to be generous. I have two friends in my life right now. One's older than me, one is younger than me, where everything in their life has kind of crashed and they have lost everything. Like, I have a friend who had, who had houses and savings and has none of that anymore. And yet he says right now he is the closest to Jesus that he has ever been. And he actually sees it as a blessing that God pulled all of these things away from his life as the consequences of what he was doing. And he says, and now I see that my relationship with God should be more important than anything else in my life. 
Sometimes it's great grace when people lose it all. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This isn't an issue of give to get. That's not what it's saying. This is faithful versus unfaithful, holy versus unholy, and how we steward God's things. There are rich people I know who work and they don't have to. They could be retired, but they still work because they think the more money I make, the more I can give away. That's a great perspective to have. The Bible never once tells you that the holiest people are those who live in monasteries and renounce all worldly wealth and sleep on the floor and never get married and never have sex. No, the Bible wants you to imagine a man and a woman who love each other and they have a couple kids and they give to the poor and they give their lives to others and their family around them and leave a lasting legacy. That is what the scriptures speak of and it's beautiful. It is beautiful. I would wish it for all of you. Because I wish every single one of you become a doctor and go out and help those in need. You may make a lot of money, and I hope one day you do, and that you could live on 10% and give 90% away, because that would be amazing. And our culture has this horrible thing. We have this idea, let's just stick it to the rich. The rich are the evil people. That is dumb, because it imagines that they are evil and we are not. We have to understand that it is not an issue of rich and poor. It's righteousness versus unrighteousness. Just like in poverty, it's an issue of righteousness and unrighteousness. Some people who are rich are crooks. I understand that. I, I read the news. I see it. I understand. But I will also tell you that every time someone stole my credit card number or broke into my car and stole my stereo, or broke into my car whatsoever, it wasn't a rich guy. It's not a doctor or a lawyer walking by going, hmm, that's a nice stereo. I'll steal that, right? No, it's an unrighteous poor guy. That's who's breaking into my car stealing my stuff. Righteous versus unrighteous. It's not about poverty and wealth. And in the end, if you're rich, should you give more? Sure, if you're talking simply a numbers game. But we should all give where God leads us. There are some people I would pray we get a boatload of money because they know how to distribute and give it away well. And if God owns all the gold in the world and the cattle on a thousand hills, well, I hope that God gives it to someone who loves him and is generous. I mean, does that make sense? I mean, not, not someone who's like, I'm going to go buy a lot of tickets and Slurpees. Don't give it to that guy. Give it to the guy that's going to give it away. You got, so what we have to do then is look at our lives and look at how we spend our money. What is important to us? How much of our income do we give away? And if God actually did place more in your hands, what would you do with it? Because we all have this ideal, well, if God gave me more, I'd just give it all away. That's not really how it typically works out. I don't get to teach our gospel class that much anymore, and, and I usually almost never get to teach the money one, but I used to. And one of the things I always say in that is the last survey I could find found that 16% of born-again Christian members of churches gave no money to their church in the last year. Now, this is going to get really personal, especially if you go to Element. Woo, here we go, right? Is it possible to go to church for a whole year and not give anything and still be worshiping? No. Biblically, it's not biblical worship. Again, this is not a salvation issue, okay? It's not about, this not about salvation. But people are like, I was singing, I was raising my hands out of emotions. But worship is this idea of sacrifice. And if all of our sacrifice is to ourselves, that's idolatry. When all of our money and all of our time and all of our energy goes to us. You can come and sing songs for half an hour, 52 times a year. But if we're not giving and we're not blessing others because God has first blessed us, we're not really worshiping. It's not biblical worship. Sometimes people show up to a church service and they will say, oh, you know, I liked or didn't like the worship today. You know what they're talking about? Songs, right? Music. Because we have this weird thing where worship equals music today. I, I don't know why. Now, I don't have a problem with you saying the band was horrible today, right? But it's just like, oh, the worship. Because oh, yeah, sometimes we are bad. I get that. I get that. But when we say certain things like I didn't like the worship today, what we're saying is it didn't please me. So who becomes the object of the worship? 
ourselves. Exactly. And music is, is part of worship, but it's not all of it. Worship is giving all that we are and all of our lives to who God is. He is supposed to be the object of our worship. We are not here to be glorified. Jesus is to be glorified. That's the oldest lie in the book that we are God. And I think if people are not reading, loving, giving, doing the work of God on this earth, we're not properly worshiping. Again, we are saved by grace. We do nothing to get that grace from God. But when we understand what God has done, what do we do? We live out in the good things God has called us to, and that is giving and serving those around us. And everything in our lives is meant to bless God and bless others. We belong to the Lord. Romans 1.6 reminds us that we were called to belong to Jesus. Christianity means we belong to God. And everyone worships something, and we will sacrifice in our lives to the God that we deem is most important to us. Many times say, well, I don't have any money. We do for our gods. Well, I can't give God 20 bucks, but I need my new phone. I need that, that pedicure. I don't, I've had a pedicure before. They're really nice, right? But I don't know how much they cost now, but, you know, I don't know. Is it 20 bucks? I don't know. Uh, I need that new sunglasses. I need that magazine. Whatever, whatever it is, you know, because that's our God. Our God is us. And we will give to that which we deem most important. And the question of Proverbs in the counterculture is not Christianity or atheism. It's what God are we going to serve? Who are we going to serve? Because can you go to a concert? Yes. And I hope you do. Just not a country music one. But, but I hope you go. And I hope it's great and you enjoy it. That's the Pastor Rebel Spare, whatever. You can go to all those. They're all country music anyway. You know. And, and I hope you enjoy it and, and I hope it's great. Can you have a nice TV? Yes, and I hope it's 4K and HD and you get like the, and oh, it's this thin and weighs two pounds and it's this big. I mean, I, I hope y'all, I hope it's amazing and great. I mean, can you, can you have a, a nice home? Yes, and I hope you do, because it would stink to live in a cardboard box, right? It'd be great. Can you, can you have a nice meal? Can you have a nice car? Yes, yes, yes. And when you enjoy those things, it is an act of worship to God. Thank you, God, for providing for me in this way. But do we also share as well? Things themselves are not good or bad. The question is, is it used for idolatry or worship? Like food, right? Food can honor God or it can be gluttony. Sex can honor God and be glorious or it can be sin. If it's in the context of marriage, it, it can worship God and be amazing. If it's outside of that, it's idolatry and it's done in a way that dishonors him. This is why wealth in Proverbs, it's not just about the money. It's also about the generations that come after us and the culture that we will make around us because we're supposed to build a whole new world in God's name as we live for him. Proverbs 27 verses 23 and 24 says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. And you might think, I don't have flocks or herds. I did that. I'm good. No, this is about stuff, okay? For riches do not last forever and does a crown endure to all generations. As money in the end can be lost. So what do you want to pass on to those around you? You want to pass on generosity. You want to pass on hope, the goodness of the gospel. You, you show people around you how to keep an eye out for giving and godliness. If you forget everything I've said to you today, and I, maybe I made you mad with something I said, I don't know. Remember this. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to him. We live in this crazy mythical world where you have a title to your car and it has your name on it. Or maybe it has the bank's name and your name on it, but it has your name on it somewhere. You have a deed to your house with your name on it. The mail comes to your house with your name on it. And it's a myth that all these things we have are actually ours. Exodus 19.5, God says, the whole earth is mine. That's not a general sense. That's a specific sense. That is everything. My stuff, your stuff. My house, 
your house, my car, your car, all of those things. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. This is telling you that the fact that we have hands to do a job or a mind to figure out how to get things done, it's God that gives us our skill. And so we cannot look at him and say, oh, this is mine, I earned it. Everything must begin and end with God, so all we do is his. And when we reorient our lives in this way, generosity becomes so much easier, and it becomes so much more fruitful. If all is God's, we will never feel ripped off when we give because we're just giving back to him what he has first given to us. God blesses us so we'd be a blessing to the earth. And sometimes that's very little, and sometimes it's a, it's a whole lot. But our life is never meant to be detached from our spirituality. I mean, we're at a church service today. But I hope you see what this means for when you walk outside of these walls. What does it look like and where do we go with this and how do we begin to live this out? How it all connects to Jesus and the gospel. The scriptures are meant to be practical in all areas of life. And next week we're going to be very practical in what this means and what it looks like. Money is an indicator of our hearts. It's a chance for wisdom or it's a chance for following idolatry. The decisions we make now will affect those around us. If you have kids, it will affect your kids or your grandkids. It will affect our home and our church and our government and our state and our nation and our world. We are supposed to be in this world as light to this world. And I think when we can live out in a way that honors God with the blessings he has first given us, and learn to manage God's money well, we will be that light to the world. Romans 3.23 reminds us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think if we look at our finances and how we spend our money, we'd all agree with that at some place in our lives. We all fall short. But the beauty of the gospel is it doesn't end right there. Because this Romans 3.24, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Monetary language, right? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Guys, it is true. We have all sinned and done some stupid things. You ever done something stupid with your money? Yeah. If you don't raise your hand, you're a liar. Okay, because... <laughs> We have robbed God of the good he has given us. And so what we do is we come in humble repentance and say to God, all that is mine is really yours. So God, would you teach me how to worship you instead of myself and instead of my money? Give me the wisdom to do it rightly. Because the good news of the gospel that Jesus came here into our condition that we find ourselves in. And he understands. He was tempted in every way that we are yet was without sin. And he will forgive us of our rebellion so we can live lives of legacy. It all comes back to Jesus and the good news of what he did. Guys, we can change. God can redeem us and move us day by day as he makes us more into the image of his son so we would live out in the world in a way that represents who God is. And as we do that, we'll hopefully become less self-centered by focusing first upon Jesus, and then we'll bring about a countercultural difference because we become generous, because our God has first been generous to us. And so we live this out. And everything that we do is meant to be a reflection of what God has first done for us. His grace, his goodness given to us. And all these things about money, again, this isn't salvation issues. This is an issue of we're saved, we understand who Jesus is and what he has done. And so how then do I get to live out? Well, we live out the good works that he has designed for us to do as a response to all of that. And so we start living in ways that bless those around us because we have first been blessed. And this is the beauty of what generosity means and entails. That our great God has been generous to us. I think one of the best ways we understand God's generosity to us is at this place we call communion. Because at communion, we remember what God has done. You have, you have a cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us. You can dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Why? Because the wages of sin was death. And Jesus comes 
And he pays that wage for us. And now we get to live in freedom and hope because all of our change to that wage of sin is death has now been broken by him. And the good news of the gospel is we now get to live out the great generosity that God has first given to us. We get to forgive those around us. We get to give love to those around us. God has first loved us. We get to bless those around us. And we get to be generous with the money that God has placed within our hands. Guys, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And what I say this morning is meant to be nothing that's make, to make you feel guilty. It's, it's hopefully to make us see the greatness of our God and what he calls us into. The band's going to come up. And as they do, you can take communion. Uh, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. Maybe you're in a place where you have spent your money poorly. You know, you chose the wrong cut, right? You, maybe you've been like that, and you want somebody to pray with you today. They're, they're not going to be back there and hand you a budget and say, figure it out and ask what your finances are like. They just want to pray with you and talk with you about it. Because a lot of times, the first part of understanding true generosity is having God begin to open our hearts and our lives to see the great generosity which he has first given to us, especially in rescuing and saving us. And so I think when we first begin to understand that, we'll see all the other stuff in our lives start to come in line a bit because we understand what he has first done. This is why Christians are meant to be a people full of love and hope and grace and truth because all these things have been first given to us. And our lives begin to look different. And they will look different to the culture around us when we actually begin to live out the great grace that he has first bestowed upon us. So let's be a people who understand that all that we have is meant to glorify all that he is, and then we'll begin to live out in the great joy and the hope that he provides, because our God is good. So having said all that, um, there are offering boxes next to every door. <laughs> uh, we don't pass a plate. It's always a response to what God has done at Element, so we don't pass a plate. Uh, there is food outside. You can grab something to eat. I saw a mound of cookies out there, so if the little kids haven't eaten them all, there's a bunch of cookies out there. You can grab those, grab some sermon notes, maybe meet with some other people this week. And talk and ask through some of those questions. And they might be difficult. They might be things you don't really want to talk about. But I think it's important for us to have those we trust in our lives. To be able to speak some truth into where we do spend our money. Where, where we do, you know, what, what is the God we sacrifice to in our lives day after day. Because it's good to have those who can help reset us and refocus us to make sure that is Jesus in all things. As our, our God has blessed us sometimes with with a lot of monetary wealth and sometimes with not a lot of monetary wealth. But in all of those things, it's still blessing. And it's still God being good. And it's still God teaching us and growing us to who we are meant to be. So let's be a people who trust him in all things because of his goodness. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us throughout not just today and not just this week, but really the rest of our lives of your gracious goodness that has first been given to us. That we would understand that all that we have has come from you. And that it does us no good to look around at what other people have and simply sit there and say, oh, I wish I had that, I wish I had that. But to begin to live in the place where we are right now and trust you for that. And then as anything comes into our lives, we would take a step back and say, this is what you have provided for me. And we learn to be a blessing with what we have exactly where we are. Because we first understand your blessing given to us. That we'd always be able to take a step back and see exactly, exactly where we are because of you. That we would understand more properly the, the great goodness of grace. That we'd go back to what we talked about at the very beginning. That there is one God and it is you. It is not us. 
and everything was made for your glory and your purposes. And so teach us as a people to live for your glory and your purpose. With all that comes into our hands, that we would learn to be this great blessing. Because it all starts and ends with you. Father, thank you for loving us in so many ways that we never even see. And I ask as we begin to recenter our lives upon who you are, you begin to help us to see all those places and simply sit back in amazement of your glory and your goodness. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.